Dear God, Lord, as we continue this uh, fun, strange journey exploring doors in the life of faith, as we look at the different images of doors in Scripture, I pray that we would hear Your voice. God, I pray in my own weakness and frailty that what would come through this morning is Your Word, Your heart, Your message for us. Uh, Encourage us. Strengthen us, convict us, guide us as we seek your face and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So it is a joy to be again opening God's word with you. We are in our second to last message in this series, Doors on the Life of Faith. And last week, if you were with us, Jesus called us to a life with God behind closed doors, an abiding with our Heavenly Father in secret places. And as he promised, he said, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And this is what Jesus has taught us, but it's also what Jesus has modeled for us. We read in Mark chapter 1, 35 through 39, this about Jesus. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go out to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So what do we see as the overflow of Jesus' private life with God? Well, we see him rising early to orient at the beginning of his day himself on the Lord. We see him that his time with his Father, it's quality time, it's rich with solitude, it's sheltered from distractions. We see him spending time wrestling and resting in prayer, meditating upon and feasting upon Scripture so that he might be able to march through his day with God's voice on his lips. And what are the results here in Mark chapter 1? Well, first, Jesus is redirected. He says, let us go on. He has a fresh understanding of God's will for the moment. He says, I can no longer stay here. I must move on. He's redirected. Second, Jesus is refueled that I may preach there also. He's experienced physical and spiritual and emotional restoration. It's as if his tanks have been filled and he's made ready for more mission and service. And then last, Jesus is resolved. He says, for this is the reason that I came out. His time in the secret, his life with God behind closed doors has reactivated his will. With renewed conviction, he commits again to his life's purpose, his God-given calling. And I review all of this today because we're going to talk about discernment. Today's message is doors and discernment. But we need to start with this fundamental truth. According to Jesus, our ability to, to discern overflows from our private life with God. You see, to discern, it means to perceive, to 
understand, to judge rightly that which is not exactly obvious or straightforward. For example, I can discern that the mushroom I found in the woods is edible and will not kill me based on what I'm seeing, my past experience, what I can read in my forager's guide, and more than anything, what I have distilled from being in relationship with Larry Short. I'm using discernment. There's a great line by uh, the old preacher Charles Spurgeon. He used to say, discernment is not simply a matter of telling the difference between right and wrong. And this I learned in mushroom hunting. Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. It's a very difference intestinally between right and almost right. You see, in a spiritual context, though, discernment is about more than just accurately assessing. It's about positively discovering God's will. We want to perceive and receive divine guidance. Thus, discernment is absolutely vital to the Christian life. If you don't believe me, listen to how the Apostle Paul prays throughout the New Testament. He writes to the Philippians, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And then to the Colossians. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then pleading with the Christians of Rome, he writes this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that's just three of his prayers for the church. You see, Paul is praying that we might be able to perceive, identify, understand, and approve God's will. And he wants us to do this so that we might be all the things God calls us to be pure, blameless, holy, strengthened in all power, walking in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received, filled with the fruit of righteousness to this end, to the glory and praise of God. You see, so one of the most essential skill sets for a Christ follower is to develop a a matrix of discernment. And Matrix is not only one of my favorite movies from my childhood, but it is a fancy word for an environment or a a framework in which something develops. 
And a lot of my insights this morning I'm stealing from one of my favorite books, A Traveler's Guide to the Kingdom uh, by James Emery White, who I will claim as a long-lost uncle. So a discernment matrix, it speaks to those core pursuits we embrace in order to cultivate a, a sensitivity to hearing God's voice and identifying God's will. And there's really four components to this lattice upon which our discernment matures. There are four parts. Scripture, godly counsel, prayer, and an openness to both hear and obey. You see, in Scripture, we have to pursue God's revelation to us. Revelation, it literally means pulling back the curtain. The writings contained in this book are intended to reveal God, to show us something about the Lord, about our situations, about ourselves that we would not otherwise know. God has spoken definitively, and it's been captured for us in Scripture's pages. So if you want to hear the voice of God, go to the archives of the recordings he has made for you. So we want to develop our mature discernment. We have to pursue Scripture, God's voice in Scripture. Second, we need godly counsel. If the Bible doesn't speak directly to what you're wrestling with, or if you need help comprehending and applying what the Bible says, seek out people through whom God can speak. But know that the people that you're looking for are not necessarily formally educated, financially successful, in positions of authority. Look for people who are walking with God, who have steeped themselves in his word, and who have lived long enough for that knowledge and that experience to come together in wisdom. Search for those who are journeying with Christ through life's many seasons, trusting him, learning at his feet, partnering with the work that the Spirit wants to accomplish in them and through them. And find those people to mentor you in these moments where things are not obvious or straightforward. Proverbs tells us, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And then this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But please hear this. Many of you guys are going to go, okay, godly counsel is part of our discernment matrix. I get that. But then you're going to go home and you're going to spell godly counsel, G-O-O-G-L-E. Right? Uh, Google <laughs> is not part of the believer's discernment matrix. It is not a substitute for a living, breathing, seasoned saint who you can dialogue with face-to-face. So be mentored by people, not the internet. The third part of our discernment matrix is prayer. To discern, we need to connect with God. We need to engage Him in actual conversation, expressing our cares, our concerns, and desires, but also stilling ourselves long enough to tune our ears to God's broadcast frequencies. I do actually believe God speaks back. Not audibly, but quietly. In our spirits, in what is often like an impression 
or a sense. You see, often in prayer, I, I receive an insight or invitation that feels more than just the product of my own churning mind. Sometimes it's clarity in how God is leading. Oftentimes I feel like it's a perspective that I would have not otherwise had access to. Most often it's a word, it's a verse that feels so timely that it it leaves me speechless. Almost as if I heard God communicate with sound waves. So prayer is absolutely essential if we're going to develop and mature our ability to discern. But the last part is we need to be open to hear and obey. Often in Scripture it says, He who has ears, let him hear. This is a bit counterintuitive, but I believe it's non-negotiable. God speaks to guide, not to inform. God speaks to guide, not to to inform. So if you first need to preview his content, if you first need to sit with it and assess it and determine if you're vibing with it before you would consider applying it, the Lord will not share with you his insight. Don't forget, he is God, you are not. James tells us this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, trusting God's character and wisdom, without doubting, being open to both hearing and obeying. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways." There's a great line from C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. He says there's two kinds of people. Those who will say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God will say, all right, have it your way. And I know have it your way is like the Burger King mantra or something. It it's sounds good to our ears. But Lewis knew that God saying have it your way is not a good thing because God's way is the way of life. Our way is the way of pain and destruction. Have it your way is not God finally succumbing to your wishes. Like a parent who's finally given in to a kid. When he says, have it your way, God is honoring our terrible choice. And having our way lands us in hell itself. Both in this life and the next. So these are the the practices, the pursuits by which we hone our discernment and we cultivate our sensitivity to God's voice and God's will. Now I know some of you are thinking, you promised me a door. (laughs) Where's the door in this conversation about doors and discernment? And I really wanted us to establish this framework first because in practice I don't think Many of us do this sort of discernment in our walk with God. Instead of scripture and godly counsel, prayer, and an openness to hear and obey, we accept what I would call the vagaries of circumstance as what indicates God's will for us. Whatever happens since it happened must be God's will. 
hey, this is the woman I met and who I've been with, so it must be God's will that we're together. Let's start having babies and get married or something. Or I applied to UW, Wazoo, PLU, and Gonzaga. I got into PLU. This must be God's will for me. This must be what God wants me to do. I think we often confuse what God allows to happen within the bounds of his sovereignty as a consequence of our real choice and free will with what God desires to see happen, what he prescribes and intends for us to walk in. We're mixing up what theologians would call God's permissive will with God's perfect will. And I feel many of us have opted to not develop our discernment, and instead we walk the path of least resistance in step with the unexamined desires of our heart while we spout off this line, well, when God closes one door, he opens another. Well, let me ask you, are we sure God says that? The closest expression we get to that sentiment comes in Revelation chapter 3. And Jesus, he's dictating this letter to a community of Christians who are living in the Greek city of Philadelphia in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And he writes this to the angel, to the, the messenger, the spiritual representative of the church in Philadelphia, write, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. It's actually an echo of what God spoke in an earlier era through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah Speaking for God says this, In that day I will call my servant, servant uh, Eliakim, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. Okay, now we get to get nerdy about doors. My favorite part. Doors in the ancient world, they were locked from the outside with a key. And though there also could be a bar on the inside to secure the door from within. Now, doors today are small. Our locks today are very small, and our keys are even smaller. But that was not the case in the ancient world. The keyholes were so large that you could stick your whole hand into them. In fact, there's a bit in the Song of Songs where uh, this young shepherd is going to visit his betrothed after it's nighttime and her dad has already locked the door and he, uh, it's like this poem, dream sequence, and he's trying to uh, stick his hand through the keyhole so they can touch fingers. It's very romantic, kind of fun, kind of weird. I'm not allowed to preach Song of Songs uh, in mixed company, but one day we'll figure out a way because I love that book. So that keyholes were big, but their keys were also equally massive. They were often a foot long 
and made from heavy bronze or iron. So it's no exaggeration that when the Lord through Isaiah says, I will place the key upon your shoulder, uh, it's not an exaggeration. Keys were not put in pockets, they were worn. And they were also elaborately decorated. And the reason they were elaborately decorated is because they represented something more than just permission to open and close doors. A key on the shoulder marked the bearer as having full authorization to rule the house. So when you see keys or hear of opening and closing doors in Scripture, it should clue you in that this is a conversation about authority. So in context, what is the Revelation passage talking about? Jesus describes himself as the one who holds the key of David. He's declaring that he has full authorization from God to rule the house of Israel. Which is why he goes on to say this, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. You see, Jesus is writing to a group of Jewish believers in the city of Philadelphia who've been thrown out of the synagogue. They've been excommunicated. They've been cut off from their community because of their allegiance to Jesus, because they have declared Jesus to be Israel's long-awaited Messiah. They've been kicked out of the house of Israel, and the door has been slammed in your face. But Jesus says, no, that is not true. I alone am the head of household, and I hold the key. Not only is this door open to you, but I've locked it open. No one can shut it on you. And one day, they will learn that I have loved you. You see, open doors speak of God's welcome and authority. There are realities to discern and there are truths to claim. And they call for patient endurance as we partner with the Lord's work. You can compare what Jesus says in Revelation to what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in emphasis until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Paul is recognizing that on account of Jesus' authority, A way has been made for the gospel to penetrate hearts in the pagan city of Ephesus. Jesus has opened the door. Paul has discerned that work, and so he will stay and he will labor. Though notice the end of that line, and there are many adversaries. An open door does not mean an easy way. The removal of obstacles and obstructions is no sure way to discern if God has opened a door or not. You see, the prophet Jonah had no difficulty 
finding a ship and booking passage on a ship that was going to Tarshish, which was the opposite direction of Nineveh to where God had called him. And imagine him saying, hey, look, I found a ship that's going where I want to go. It must be a sign from the Lord that he has given me permission to do what I feel in my heart I must do. Disobey God's direct instructions on account of my frustration and hard-heartedness. You see, I wanted to talk so much about discernment before we're talking about open doors because too often the mind justifies the decisions of the heart and we call it an open door. Now contrast this with Paul. He has an open door for the Lord. Many Ephesians, they turn from idols, they embrace Jesus, but that does not preclude a a riot from breaking out in protest of Paul's ministry. Yes, the door was open, but it was resisted. See, this tells me that we cannot short-circuit the discernment process. Our ability to discern overflows from our abiding with the Lord both in the secret and in community. From our pressing into what is God's primary will for our lives, which is to know Him and to love Him. And it will always mean digging into Scripture, seeking godly counsel, being faithful in prayer, being open to hear and obey when God speaks. Now I You might hear and say, yes, I get that. But why can't God make it easy for us? Well, good news, He does. For those who are His, for those who've put their trust in Jesus and have been made new, God fills us with His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our helper in discernment. Jesus told His disciples in John 16, I tell you the truth, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Or even put more simply, Isaiah says this, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Now I didn't start here because I think perceiving the Spirit Accurately, you have to cultivate that sensitivity to God's voice and His will. You have to be able to do what John in 1 John calls testing the spirits. To say, is this the spirit prompting me? Or is this just my own flesh, my own impulses and desires? And for that, you need the rest of that whole discernment process that we talked about. Because God will never speak in contradiction with the way that He's already spoken. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always speak with one voice. 
But the results of tuning one's ears to God and, and learning to commune with our God who is spirit transforms the whole process of discernment into this adventure that's full of excitement and discovery. Jesus says in John 3, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Or as the psalmist articulates it, the steps of a man are established by the Lord as he delights in his way. God can use circumstances to lead us and guide us. Actually, I'll just read a chunk from this book. God can work through circumstances. He can open and close doors, create opportunities for us, and then place them in our path in order to direct our steps or confirm a particular direction. Circumstances entice us to move forward, to check something out, to explore something new. When that first tentative step is met by another encouragement, another open door, another confirmation, we move further and further on. And that it can be exhilarating. We look back and in hindsight, we can see a whole trail of events where God was clearly leading us step by step. I love the story in Acts of Philip reaching out to the Ethiopian eunuch. He just gets a prompt from the Spirit. Hey, take this road. So he takes the road. Run aside, alongside that chariot, which is an awkward act. He runs alongside the chariot. You know, God gives him a question. What are you reading? He and then it says, in, uh, the Spirit said to Philip, uh, go over, join this chariot. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. Sp Philip gets, him into a gets himself into a place where he's available to be God's mouthpiece. And then it says, the Spirit, when he, they baptize the Ethiopian man, and when he comes out of the water, the Spirit whisks him away on a new assignment. And that is the beauty of the, the life of faith. When we press into this journey of discernment, it can be like being on an adventure with the Lord. But I want to do all the other stuff because it is really wonderful to be walking in step with the Spirit and watching Him do crazy and amazing things around us and through us. But it's really easy to baptize our own desires and say, this is the adventure the Lord has for me, but it's really the adventure I have for me. And it's all about, you know, advancing my career and securing my comfort and, and maximizing my enjoyment. And so we have to know as we're talking about doors and discernment, this all comes in the context of God's authority. It's not our authority, it's his. And he is in the business of bringing about his ultimate will. And often when he's opening doors, it is for gospel purposes. It's not just for us and our desires and whatnot. And so don't hold this intention, I guess. Don't baptize your own wishes and desires and say, this is the Spirit leading me. But the sweet spot of the Christian life is when you are being blown back and forth with the wind, when you're in prayer, when you're seeking counsel, when you're in the Scripture and the Spirit speaks to our hearts and says, go here. And we discover 
We've grabbed a hold of a live wire and God is at work. And that is so, so sweet because those doors, when they open, no one can slam them shut. And sometimes he closes doors because he's trying to bring us into something else. So here's Acts 16. And they went through the region of Phrygia in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Spirit to speak the word in Asia. There is a sense that God is, is thwarting their efforts, that he's shutting a door. And when they come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, the Spirit is training Paul in certain instances to say no to something good, to say yes, ultimately to something better, or at least something that is more urgent and timely. And there's two interesting notes in this passage. One is that Paul and Silas will go back later in their ministry to that place that the Lord did not allow them to go into at that point. So a closed door does not necessarily mean an evil path. It's just not God's invitation for the moment. And also there's this... Uh, fear and trembling and humility when we're following the Spirit. Because when Paul gets to Macedonia, he is surprised that it is not a man from Macedonia with whom God has set up this divine appointment. It turns out to be a woman, a seller of purple dye named Lydia. So even when he feels like the Spirit's leading him, there's still this opportunity to be surprised by what God is doing. You see, as we read the New Testament, we get this impression that as we navigate life in step with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God swings open the metaphorical doors that he's inviting us to walk through and he closes the doors that he does not intend for us to walk in. But it's not just blind determinism. Whatever happens is his will. It's actually a cultivated and developed discernment. It's a living, breathing, growing relationship with God where as you seek Him in His Word, as you seek counsel, as you pray, as you're open, He gives you more and more insight into what He is doing. And we get to partner. And it all comes in this conversation about authority. He saves us, but He is also our Lord. And He says, I am doing a work in the world. I have full authorization to rule the house. So join me in the work I'm doing. He's not opening doors and closing them for our purposes, but for His ultimate will to be done. What do we pray? May Your kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this whole conversation about discernment, one, it's we don't have to discern God's will for our lives in some sort of a mystical sense because God has told us what His will, our will, His will for our lives is. It's for us to know Him and to love Him. 
He's also given us his moral will, how we are to live, how we are to think, how we are to act in this world. So that is settled. The joy is the adventure of discernment of what is God doing and how do I get to be part of it. And when you start to walk with God and abide with him both in the secret and in the community, it is like walking through life with a dude that's got the key to all the doors. And it's like, check this out. Oop, not this one. You know? And it's an adventure. And it's a joy. And when God is at work, the results are incredible. I'll just end with that psalm that we uh, read a little bit earlier. The Lord establishes our steps when we delight in His way. So may that be what rings in our brains as we think about this conversation of doors and discernment. So let's pray. Dear God, Lord, we thank You that You are in charge. We thank You that we, You are sovereign. And God, we ponder the mysteries of Your will. We know that You have perfect will, but we also know that You've given us real choice. That has introduced a, an element of drama in the proceedings. But you are in the business of accomplishing your ultimate will. You will get the ship to port. You will welcome people into relationship with you. You will make the world new. And as you are even now in the business of having your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as you look forward to that ultimate establishment of your kingdom, May we join you on the adventure. May we come under your good and beautiful authority and see what you want to do in us and through us. How you want to rescue people. How you want to break the power of evil. How you want to welcome the isolated and the alienated. How you want to speak hope in places of death. God, give us the courage and the joy to go on the adventure with you as you open and close doors and do even more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine as you make this world new. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.